Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Believe in Temple Football Podcast, Season 1, Episode 13. I'm John DiCarlo, the editor of Alstoop.com, joined, as always, by former Temple quarterback and former Temple assistant coach Adam DeMichael. Adam, what's going on, man? Hey, everything's good, John. Uh, hopefully you're doing well and just excited to get this thing rolling again. And, uh, you know, a lot of football news going on. I know I'm excited about free agency. I'm a big football junkie. I'm sure you are, too. So, yeah, just seeing certain guys going to certain teams and switching, and you know, I have like um, that and baseball. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big baseball fan, so I have like every baseball guy and a couple of football people. Obviously, you know, their tweets are sent to me on the regular. So if I look, you know, if you hear vibrating right now, it's probably oh look, Justina Anderson. The Bucks are sending the Patriots a fifth rounder in, in exchange for Shaq Mason. So hmm. Tom Brady gets Shaq Mason as his right guard now. So that's my um. I look down every every time I look down. That's that's kind of where I'm at, man. But I'm excited to get back to it. Hopefully, you're doing well, man. And then I guess you're waiting for all the big news in Pittsburgh Pirates free agency. To see if they double oh, yeah. the payroll. Then we got like Vogelbacher, whatever his <laughs> name is today. You know, I did. It was pretty cool. If anyone wants to hear a, um, Kevin Gorman, who does the Pittsburgh, I think he might be in the tri- Tribune Review now. Mm-hmm. But Vogelbach, for instance, he's a he came from the Mariners. He's a big power hitter, but he did a little interview with him and asked him a couple of questions. And he literally killed the interview. It was one of the coolest things I said, how he's, you know, a team first guy. And just like I was it was impressive for a guy that's, you know, not a big name guy. But mm-hmm. I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll retweet it if you guys see it on Twitter. It's pretty cool to, to show some young players and stuff, too. So nice. Vogelbach. So, <laughs> yep. So we, we always like for our Al Scoop podcast, The Scoop, well, most weeks we'll say, OK, if it's episode this or that. We'll say famous number 10s or 20s, famous number 13s. We, we have one sitting right here. You wore you wore number 13 at Temple. So I want to ask you the story behind behind your number. Yeah, um, it's interesting because, as you know, I didn't start playing football till eighth grade. I don't remember if I was 13 then or not, but my brother liked, as you know, being from Pittsburgh, Dan Marino. Mm-hmm. And that was his number, and I was his manager in, in football. And I was like, you know, even though their team was very bad, and if he's listening, sorry, but they were so bad. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, everyone wants to be like their older brother or their father, you know. So my brother wore 13. He wore 13 because of Marino. And then, obviously, when I came to Temple, it was one of them deals where, you know, it just kind of stuck with me. Um, and it, nothing crazy, you know I mean? Nothing drastic. Like, when I went to play in the CFL, I changed to number one. You know, I wore a couple – I was with the Eagles for a couple weeks. I was number nine. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just weird seeing different numbers on your chest. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. I mean, I'm sure people that have worn jerseys can understand what I'm talking about and have changed numbers. But like I said earlier to you, man, number 10 and 32 are my numbers in basketball. And 13 didn't really start until I hit the football field. When you went to the Eagles, did, did they just say, here's number nine? Or did you yeah, actually oh, have yeah. like – Yeah, right. <laughs> they didn't give me many options. It was yeah. like – they would have gave me 74 out of them wearing 74 out there. Um, but it's funny. Yeah. I, uh, they gave me number nine quick and I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take nine. And you didn't have to fight anybody for 13 when you got to temple, you and, and Von Charles. I don't believe so. It was, yeah. We didn't do good. I don't think he wanted 13. Uh, there might've been someone on defense, obviously, because we weren't going to be on the field at the same time. They wore 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, some people feel it's that unlucky number um, or so to speak, but 
I mean, it's been it was it's been good to me, and we'll see what my little guys wear one day, what numbers they like. So whatever their age is, he says is his favorite number. So that's good. I like it. <laughs> I, well, we also wanted to um, before we really get going into the podcast this week, we wanted to we wanted to dedicate this episode to George DeLeon, the former Temple assistant coach. I mean, he coached it every level of football and I, I will we'll talk to Adam about this in a second. I don't have to tell him uh, what kind of an amazing human being George DeLeon was. He died back on March 1st at the age of 73. Um, Adam, I can't imagine what goes through your mind. I got to cover him for a little bit and it, he was just always great to me. Just always awesome. I felt like every time I interviewed him, he was eating something <laughs> and um, he looked like when you went into his office the first time around when he was with Al, um, just stacks and stacks and stacks of film and playbooks. And he was just great. You know, he was, I you knew him as the guy that, that coached Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison. And, and he did so much more than that. And uh, like I said, he was awesome to me. And I wanted to ask him, I wanted to ask you what your memories were uh, of being around George playing for him, because he was, he was the big deal hire for Al, you know, when Al came in, as this young defensive coordinator out of the University of Virginia, 35 years old and obviously bright, energetic, but George was like, you know, like the elder statesman there. And I, mm-hmm. it, from the outside looking in, it, it seemed to work out. And he was one of the guys that helped you guys turn the corner. What, what do you think of when, when you think of George? Yeah, man. Um, and you said some amazing things about him right there. And a lot of people on social media sites that I've seen have also said a lot of, a lot of great things. He was a truly unique and, and a special individual. Um, the guy was passionate. Uh, he was intense. He was super smart, intelligent. I mean, the guy was an offensive coordinator, and then you know he ended up coaching. He was a defensive coordinator mm-hmm. the next year at Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's coached at the highest level. Um, you know, multiple draft picks, and then uh, he was just a special guy, man. He was he was funny. Um, he had a story about everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever you talked about, this guy had a story about, it, and it's just crazy to think about. You know, I did a post about like, hey, someone, you know, give me some George DeLeon memories on Twitter yeah, you know, a few that, weeks yeah. ago. And I got a couple of hits, which were really nice. A couple of former players, a couple you know guys that he just randomly you know met and reached out to. But like, there was a story of um, Nitro Rob, uh, you know Nitro, our former player. Yeah, he posted about how uh, we were at the, I think it was like the bringing the Temple players to the Phillies night or what night. Whatnot. It was a night game. It was probably yeah. like a, a Wednesday or Thursday. And, you know, coaches got out a little early to take their families. We're all up in like, where were we? Right field, like the, we're talking about peanut heaven, John. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the players are just having a good time. Like, all right, we get out a little early. The coaches are with their kids. You know what I mean? I was probably, I forgot what I was doing. I was probably, I might have been with Cat at the time. Um, but he said he walked by and we're like walking by him in like center field next to maybe one of those food places. And he's sitting down on a chair and he's drawing, uh, he's drawing cards for tomorrow's practice. Like, you know what I mean? Like for the defensive scout team, yeah. he's drawing them dirt with headphones on mm-hmm. just sitting in a chair, old man, just sitting there just, and he's kind of like mother effing, you know, mad. He's like, he didn't want, you know, he yeah. didn't want to be, all he wanted to do was get the work, get his stuff done and keep teaching and keep learning. And then I'm sure you saw Frank's, uh, Frank Newtow's post about they went to the Sixers game again. These are two things where like young coaches like me are, you get excited about. Like you get out of the office, you get to a Phillies game, you get to a Sixers yeah. game. The players are juiced up, so we think we won the AAC, and they were, you know, had us on had a couple of the guys on the court during halftime or during one of the breaks. And George was supposed to go out, but for some reason he got lost. I guess it was <laughs> <laughs> typical George fashion. Excuse me, 
and he was trying he lost his credentials too so he's trying to go on the court and guys like who are you who are you he's like, i'm george de Leon. he's like all i know is we're gonna run 36 power the first play of the game versus wake forest saying it like like he was a big um like when he spoke you know especially like in our old you remember our old team room video mm-hmm. just the one up top they don't really use it now small he, you know you'd have the uh, projector just glaring in your face you know what i mean like it's dark the projectors in your face as a coach you can't see anything mm-hmm. so he's always squint his eyes i know nobody else can see me but john but he's always squint his eyes and be like man today and he like and he'd start like talking but he would spit like, yeah, yeah, yeah tons of spit spit during the interviews yeah oh yeah, yeah. I, my brother told me he still has spit on him from uh one of his, one of our meetings when my brother first got there but um <laughs> there's some good stuff man i mean coaching convention i saw him the last time i saw him was at the coaching convention a few years ago and just like you couldn't talk to him because so many people wanted to get around him mm-hmm. and introduce themselves and just be around that aura that he brought um, to the table every day as a professional and you know he told me to always you know keep my family first in this profession and that's not a reason why i necessarily got out of the profession but it's like hey like george leon told me i know he's been in the game for many years so kind of contradictory in a weird way but it's like, hey, you know, your family's important. Make sure you don't forget about them while you're coaching. Um, but he was special. I think you probably understand that even coming from your side of it on the, you know, but, but having a chance to play for him, mm-hmm. having a chance to you know see him at Syracuse. I went to a camp there and he was on the bullhorn just screaming at every human possible <laughs> and having a chance to coach alongside him and, you know, him buying lunch for us and, you know, having him and obviously coach Foley and Rule and those guys, and, you know, Saravo, Coop, just having those guys be around him was, was pretty cool. And um, I don't know if you saw his coach Foley, you probably see coach Foley's tweet. They put his like famous chicken recipe or something like that on the back, you know, at his funeral, mm-hmm. um, which is, I mean, who, how many people really do that? You know what I mean? And yeah. he was just a special guy. I mean, I know I'm a little long winded here, but no, it's important to get some things off my chest. And I know, you know, some people that are listening might not, you know, remember George uh, in the best you know, my frame because, you know, we weren't good whenever he was around or initially early on before he left, but the guy brought a lot to the table and, you know, he impacted, you know, a lot of lives in, in the right manner. And it's sad to see him go. And, you know, we just continue to pray for his family. I mean, you, and the cool thing for you, I'm sure is you got to play for him. You were there for both stints, right? When he was there at yep. the beginning with Al, you got to play for him. And like you said, you got to coach with him when he came back for, for a little bit. I mean, what did he like when you go back to, to playing for him? What was the, the, the game day interaction like? Is he like, are you getting uh, I mean, I'm dating myself here. Were you guys getting like back in back then in, in 2007, 20, like 2008? Were you getting calls into your headset or did you have to come to the sideline or they're signaling it? And is George doing it? No, he definitely didn't signal it, man. Uh, he was up in the booth, if I'm not mistaken. But that first year when he was my. OC and then obviously Rule was the quarterback coach the next year mm-hmm. but we were so bad in 06 that you know I'm shocked that uh, I mean it was just it was just so bad that there weren't many good memories but we were running the same offense that they did at Syracuse like I I yeah. told you know like a play name twin I left 22 green 24 trap purple trade 18 zone I remember that play for the entirety of my life mm-hmm. you know there were plays where I could just I could just you know just see it happening right in front of me right now and George calling it and him, you know, installing it in front of everybody. And we were, he was probably a little too far advanced for us as players. Like right. We were nowhere near on his level of coaching expertise. We were nowhere near as good as what he was trying to teach us. And I don't think none of us understood that until probably now, like, wow, well, we were coached by 
someone like him, it was just like, well, this old man's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, he was giving us his all every single day. And it's almost like we didn't deserve it because as players, like we were, weren't just, we weren't very good. You know what I mean? And, but the game day stuff, I just know we lost a lot of games mm-hmm. and he wasn't happy, but I do know the next day when we watched the film, I knew he spent that night just figuring out like, why did we lose 66 to nothing? Trying to figure out every single play and what went wrong. And I'm like, George, it's not your fault, buddy. It's our fault. But he was just grinding every single day for us. And that's how I'll remember him. Um, and I'm sure that's how a lot of people will. You had interior linemen who were averaging maybe 250 pounds blocking. Yeah, that, was a, that, was a, that was a tough, uh, that was a tough year for us. Yeah. But it made it, it made us all, everyone stronger for the next uh, couple of seasons for sure. Yeah. Well, th- thank you for those memories. I appreciate Adam. Uh, just a, a quick note from one of our sponsors here before we move along in the podcast. Uh, just a reminder that the Believe in Temple Football podcast is presented by Bet Online. Uh, it's that time of the year as college basketball takes center stage with the tournament finally upon us. If you're looking to wager this year, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your updated odds and info, along with great contests, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V in all caps. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. BetOnline, where the game starts. So moving along here, we've got some uh, a lot of good stuff to get into. Spring football, Temple's three practices into the spring. Uh, before we get to that, I want to talk about another guy that Adam had the chance to know who was coming back home. If you're an Eagles fan, you're happy about this. If you're even not an Eagles fan, you're a Temple fan, you're happy about this. Uh, Hassan Reddick, the former Temple star who came from some very humble beginnings, came in as a walk-on. You probably know his story by now. Just signed a three-year, $45 million contract with the Eagles on Monday. Uh, only eight players, my buddy E.J. Smith at the Inquirer pointed this out, only eight players in the NFL have compiled more than 20 sacks during the last two seasons, and he's one of them with 23 and a half. Uh, only T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett, Aaron Donald, and Trey Hendrickson have more than him in that two-year span. So that's some, some pretty elite company. Uh, again, you know, before Hassan became the 13th pick in the 2017 NFL draft, you know, had injuries at Hatton Heights High School and only played in four games as a senior, came in red-shirted under Steve Adazio, uh, you know, walk, came in as a walk-on. And then, Adam, this is kind of where you and the Matt Rule regime come in, Um and he got his chance then, you know, what are your memories of, I know you didn't coach that position, but just, just being around him, I, I he's to me, he, you know, I know that like a walk on going on to the NFL, it's not as rare as people would think it happens more often than people know. But one of the things I love about college football and particularly covering temple where people say it's a developmental program is, you know, I, the staff always, you know, for the most part really made themselves accessible. Even if you were just, you know, talking off the record and being able to pick your brain and pick Matt's brain. And, and uh, I remember Matt saying at one point, like, I'll tell you starting to come around Hassan Reddick. And I'd be like, okay, you're the coach. I'm not, you're, you're with these guys every day. And I remember Matt saying at some point, a couple of times, he's got, he's got a chance. Like he's just really, really got a chance. And turns out he had more than a chance. Mm-hmm. Now he's, you know, living a, a great life and, and coming back home. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here. What do you remember of, of your time around Hassan? I mean, he had a ton of great games and 
was part of the 27 to 10 win, but what how you saw from the inside, his development, what, what, what stands out to you from that yeah. time? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm excited for Hassan. I know, uh, you know, when you get a big payday like this and when it's earned, it's an exciting time for you and an exciting time for your family. And I'm sure he's just wanting to, again, man, just, you know, try to prove people wrong, whether or not that's, that's not coming from his mouth, but I'm sure that's something that's in the back of his mind, just continue to showcase himself. But I just remember him. And obviously, like you said, I didn't get a chance to coach him necessarily, but I just remember a freakish athlete, you know, even from, you know, early on day ones, obviously he was thin. He didn't look the way he does now, but I just remember a freakish athlete, a guy that used to, you know, get into it with Deion Dawkins and, you know, Leon Johnson, you know, and those guys all the time, there were battles between those guys, you know, a guy that didn't have it figured out when he first got here, you know, had a couple of issues, you know, just trying to figure out how to fit in and try to and figure out how to stand out, you know what I mean, soon thereafter. But, um, you know, a guy that, again, as I look at it, I know he just posted this on his Twitter, you know, he's a weapon for the Philadelphia Eagles now. That's his, you know, his Twitter, whatever, bio part now. So that's pretty okay. cool. I like, how, like how I put that. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of how, I, you know, his last year or two at Temple, the guy was just relentless. Like, you know, once he got a little bit of success, I think just that goes along with everybody. I probably mentioned this earlier in one of the, you know, our podcasts is, you know, when a guy has a little bit of success, it's like, okay, wow, like I can do this against this competition and dominate. All I have to do is use my speed and my athleticism. And then, you know, he get he had a chance to get coached up by Elijah Robinson, who's mm-hmm. obviously does a really good job in, in, in that facet of the game. But, um, you know, you talk about his last year, it's like, you know, our defense with all those guys, like you knew on third and long or, fourth and five with the game on the lawn. It's like, I knew Hassan was going to, I guess you could say, quote unquote, make a play. He was going to perform. He was going to get the quarterback. And you know what I mean? Or he was going to you know, get a tackle for loss, but that's what you was expected. And then you see, you know, didn't have the success early on in Arizona, but figured it out after, you know, a couple of years and had a chance in Carolina with some old friends and performed really well there. And now he, you know, has a chance to, to come home to Philadelphia and he's, I saw a video, someone posted, he's already at Temple today working out, Yeah, which is pretty cool. So I know that he's a passionate guy. He's a guy that cares and he's a guy who's going to put forth the best effort and every chance he's getting I'm, I mean, there's going to be double digit sacks next year to year after. So I know we're all excited about that um, being Temple faithful. Do you remember a, a time? And again, I know you weren't like, like focused in on that position group at that time, but do you remember is there anything that stands out maybe even like during a practice where you saw him make a play where you were like, Oh, he's got a, he's got a shot because I know sometimes maybe sometimes things don't stand out that way. Or sometimes I'll have a coach say, yeah, it was the way he called out something in a meeting or it was right, the way right. that a kid did this. And you're like, Whoa, this, this something's different now. Is there anything that stands out in your mind where you thought, well, Mike, he's gone from being a walk on to a guy that can stay healthy now and is going to have a chance to get drafted. I don't know about, you know, football-wise necessarily, but I remember he would just used to do these backflips. He would run, flip, jump, do all this stuff. And I'm like, I mean, there's only like a handful of guys in the city of Philadelphia that can do some of these things athletically. And then, you know, he would run with – obviously, he wasn't as heavy as he is now, but he would run with skills and combos. And it's like he would just – you just see the way he glides and see how almost effortless it was to do some of the things that others just took every ounce of, you know, their body to do. And that's kind of when you're like, okay, he's a little different. 
Um, let's see how we can, you know, get him to become that weapon for us. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that, that, that Hassan has already he posted a video today back in Philly, back on campus. One of the things that Stan Drayton talked about was that, you know, he does want, you know, former players to feel welcome, uh, to feel welcome on campus, welcome in the program. And, and um, Hassan has already taken him up on that. Um, this morning, uh, Sam Cohen, one of my guys from Al Scoop, also was covering Temple for the Philadelphia Inquirer, asked Stan Drayton uh, about Hassan Reddick coming back and if he had the chance to, to talk to him. And uh, here's that exchange from that interview earlier this morning. We'll play this for you now. Since taking over, you talked a lot about connecting with former players. I saw yesterday Hassan Reddick come back to Philly. Signing with the Eagles. I don't know. Have you just talked to him at all over the past couple months? Spent him at all? Or? A couple of months, yes. You know, so I'm at a basketball game. I have not talked to him since he signed with the Eagles. But, uh, you know, we do have, I know my chief of staff has. And he's, he's, you know, excited to get back to Philly. Excited to get himself around this program. Obviously, we'll have our facilities open to him anytime he wants to get back. But, uh you know, I have not personally talked to him uh, since he signed with the Eagles, but I know he's going to be involved. It's important. It's very, this program is very important to him. So, Adam, we've talked about this before. You know, it does seem, and again, it's very, very early on, but it does seem, I don't know if there's a better term for it, it does seem like there are, there are just more good vibes about former players being excited about things again and coming back and um, – Obviously, again, Hassan grew up in Camden, went to Haddon Heights. Philly's very special to him. So uh, it would almost seem logical for him to come home. But the fact that he comes back and is down at 10th and Diamond right away, and you're still in touch with a lot of former players. Do people – is this something guys are talking about now where they feel like things are trending in the right direction with that and just in terms of there being more of a family feel around the program again? I would think that you know, Coach Drayton – you know, when he was going through his interview process and then, you know, when he did get hired, trying to figure out as he talked to, you know, his introductory meetings with players, like, hey, what are some of the things you think we need to be better at? One of the, some of the things that, you know, the staff that I was on and the previous staff, you know, weren't great at, like, you know, there could have been some times where it was like, hey, we need to get the alumni more involved. It's like, hey, you know, coach, I don't see many players back around here. You know, there's not a great feeling of, you know, alumni are welcome here. Maybe there were some things that were said along those lines by somebody, but, or maybe there wasn't. It's just like, hey, you know, Coach Drayton came from Texas where I'm sure a lot of people and a lot of alumni came back all the dang time. And, you know, it was like, he sees that. He understands how many guys, and you see them tweeting about how many guys we have in the NFL on the active rosters. And I know he's, uh, he's not a stupid guy, that's for sure. Um, so he, he knows what he's doing. And he's trying to get the alumni back involved, especially, you know, our players. And so, again, when you when you go down to EO and, you know, you're a young freshman defensive lineman and you look at Hassan Reddick, you're like, wow, Hassan Reddick. And you say, like, okay, he's really six foot. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm three inches taller than him. Okay, Hassan, when he came here, he was 160 pounds, 175 pounds, whatever he was. Like, well, I'm 210 pounds. Like, mm-hmm. well, I can, I can find a way to be like Hassan Reddick. Mm-hmm. Let me go get his number. Let me contact him. Let me figure out. Same thing goes when, you know, guys like even quarterbacks come back. It's like, hey, come back and well, you get them on Zoom and or Deion Dawkins was there seeing some of the players. Like, he did it from Temple. I had a chance to be like him. I could I could do it. You know what I mean? It's it's not, you know, something that's that far out of reach if I really put in the effort and the time. So I don't know if players are necessarily talking about it, but I know there's an open-door policy, which is, which is pretty cool and, and a smart move by him. Mm-hmm. 
So speaking of spring football, so there are Temple's three practices in. Adam and I are recording this right now on uh, Tuesday late afternoon. Uh, and Adam, you've been through this process a couple of times where, um, you know, you're not new to Temple, but a new staff is coming in. Um, and, you know, a new staff where, let's say it's a Jeff Collins, and he's similar to Stan in that he's not a head coach bringing, like, most of his staff with him. And um, there's so much – I'd imagine there's so much to do. There's install. There's just, like, we're taking a look at this roster. Who do we like? Who's maybe not going to be around here after the spring? Are there guys that we can – where you have that conversation where it's like, hey, happy to have you here, but if you want to play – 20 snaps a game, it's not going to be here. And if that's not right for you, then we'll help you find that place. Like those types of conversations are happening. What, so as a coach, if you, if you put your coaching hat back on again, um, what do you, what are these guys going through right now in terms of being a new staff and taking a look at this roster where again, it's, I mean, it's safe to say they need help at every position. Um, and it is a bit of a rebuild I'd say, or maybe it's a lot of a rebuild, but we'll see. What, what are they what are they going through right now and and when you're a new staff uh, with just a few holdovers what are you looking to accomplish in there's those first few spring practices and then coming out of it yeah I mean um, when you talk about the install part and the evaluation it's like okay this is our install this is what the OC brought with him and, and obviously they had meetings before the players came back trying to figure out exactly what they're gonna install what the kids can handle I think that's part of the process like okay what can our guys handle mentally? Obviously, there's classes and stuff happening. What can they handle mentally? What can we as a staff, you know, put in front of those guys to make them be at their best and allow them to perform without having to think too much, especially early in the spring? Say, like, okay, you know, these are some of our base concepts. These are some of our base runs, some of our base checks, some of our base coverages, some of our base blitzes. It's like, do you start that slow and allow those guys to play fast and at a great pace? And that's kind of what it sounded like you know, when you heard Coach Drayton, uh, you know, talk during his press conference, like, you know, the, the offense was, was good. The offense was smooth. There was good communication. I keep hearing him say good communication. That's a big deal. So if guys are communicating, guys are understanding the, you know, the installs and, and, and things of that nature. So, and, and that's a big deal. Um, and then when you talk about uh, some of the other things with the new snaps, like those guys are probably in there, you know, late hours, I would imagine, evaluating guys evaluating, you know, you know, making cutups of each guy. It's like, okay, one-on-one cutups. This is, these are the guys, this is how they're looking. This is what we can expect. Maybe he's not good enough right now. So they're just trying to find ways to get the guys on board and get those guys to trust them. Um, but from what I'm reading, John, obviously I'm not there and I haven't seen, seen it, but um, it seems like there's good energy in the building. I think that's a positive. Uh, but again, man, I mean, it just depends on, you know, what the head coach once and you know what he's going to get out of these first couple of installs because you could either throw a lot at them and see the guys that can mentally do it or you slow it down for them and then just add on as you go you know there were times where we threw a lot at them it's like well these dudes can't handle it let's back off then there's times where we slowed it down to see the guys that could just play and not have to think and then it's like okay let's change that and see who could really play we threw in a ton of play actions and different protections install five and see who can do it. So it all just depends on what, you know, his motto is when it comes to that. And before, just to give people uh, an idea of like the type of media access that we have, um, we're not going to be, you know, we're, you know, and I say we meaning um, myself, you know, any reporter who's, who's covering the team, 
We'll be talking to Stan Drayton before the first eight practices, before we start getting access to the coordinators like Danny Langsdorf, the offensive coordinator, DJ Elliott, the defensive coordinator, uh, and then Adam Shire, the special teams coordinator and tight ends coach. Uh, that'll take us through a lot of this month and then in the early April. And then we'll have three days of player availability leading into the Cherry and White game on April 9th. So today, before this, before this morning's practice, Stan talked about the fact that today was going to be their first day in pads. Again, a fan hears that, and you know, all the time we hear a, a coach say, "Well, we were just in shirts and shorts. We'll see what happens when the pads get on." Again, I'll ask you this as a former coach: what what changes when you put the pads on? Do some guys look good in shirts and shorts, and then when the pads get on, it becomes? Mm-hmm. I know in today's football, you can't be knocking everybody's hat off every single play, but do you see guys get a little? overwhelmed when the pads come on or do you see the opposite effect where you see an elevation in their player I think you see that's a great question I think you see a little bit of both mm-hmm. you know when you're in shorts and you know shorts and tops and or you know shorts and helmets or whatever you know you see guys flying around they're loose they know there's not going to be much physical contact you usually see you know the defensive line a little better a little more loose knowing that linemen aren't going to be you know able to do certain things there's not going to be certain moves that they can do, they can use speed. You know what I mean? There's no pads. It's, it's you know, the, the linemen can't hit their shoulders and do certain things. Um, running backs are running through arm tackles. That's the, the kind of guys that you're going to be evaluating, you know, running backs, safeties, linebackers, offensive, defensive line. You know, there's times where it's like, hey, you know, you can get physical. You can still block and stuff on the edge with wide receivers and defensive backs. Even if you're not using pads, you know what I mean? You can still get in the, you know, the correct position and, you know, get the right angles. But things kind of turn around whenever, you know, the pads come on for those interior guys, those second-level guys, the backs, tight ends. And then, obviously, we're not going to, you know, hit the quarterback, I would imagine, because there's only three of them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine you're not going to do much of, you know, live, going live and allowing the quarterbacks to, to, to do a little, little bit of things like that. So um, I'm sure they got a great evaluation today. They'll, they'll continue to get evaluations. You know, guys run through the whole tentatively. Or are they, you know, doing the same things they did the day before with, you know, no pads on? Mm-hmm. You know, can people really tackle? You know what I mean? Like people are always going to tag off the hip you see and just running by people and saying, "Woo!" Like I would have knocked you, I would have knocked you out. You know, if we had pads on. Now it's like, okay, me versus you in the hole, John. You know, who's going to be the guy to, you know, to make you miss or I'm going to run you over or you're going to, you know what I mean, lay me out? It's like, so yeah, I mean, things are definitely different when pads come on and when they're, you know, not on. But like you said earlier, man, you have to be smart you know, in, in both facets, because, you know, you got to take care of your teammates. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the quarterbacks, again, uh, the way I see it, like there are very few position groups on this team where they're not going to be taking a hard look at, at everything. There aren't too many, you know, sure things on this roster. I mean, Stan Drayton's talked a little bit about how, you know, Zach Gill very early on started to stand out and it's, it's good to see him healthy. You know, one of the two North Carolina transfers that came in, and then Dante Colinelli from my staff on Saturday morning asked him about the quarterbacks just in general. And, um, and again, very early on, uh, Stan Drayton had some, some good things to say uh, about Dewan Mathis, who, you know, obviously would seem to have a lot to, a lot to prove this season, you know, being as highly recruited as he was, uh, things not working out for him at Georgia for a number of reasons. And he's now 
here at Temple working with another a new staff and a, a new offensive coordinator and Danny Langsdorf, who's worked, some, worked with some good quarterbacks in the past. So I'm going to play this clip for everybody here to, to listen to, and then Adam and I will talk about it on the other side. So this is Stan Drayton talking about uh, Dewan Mathis on Saturday when he was asked about the quarterbacks by Dante Colinelli from my Al Scoop staff. Stan, I want to ask about the quarterbacks and how you think they're picking up the offense so far. Just not a lot of experience in that room. A lot of young guys are in a new offense. Yeah. How do you think that's going so far? Day one was, was actually pretty impressive. You know, DeJuan uh, took, you know, a guy who uh, knew where the ball needed to go yesterday. I mean, we're only talking install one, right? You know, but he knew exactly where the ball needed to go. Uh, not only that, what was impressive is that uh, there was times where he had to make some adjustments on the run that he made. I mean, he hit that on all cylinders. And uh, when you talk about an athlete like that, the guy who can extend the play with his feet, you know, make plays with his feet. I mean, there's a lot of potential in that young man, you know. And, and that group as a whole really uh, commanded the offense, commanded the huddle. Uh, I thought they did a phenomenal job yesterday. All right, Adam, I'll, I'll ask you this, and this is probably like a putting you on the spot type of question. Is that – and, again, we, we have several more spring practices to go. And then – time to evaluate after that and then preseason camp in August. Right. I know you don't work with Stan Drake and you don't really know him. Does that sound like a, a coach that was trying to say like, all right, I just got to say some good stuff about my, my quarterback or did that sound like a head coach who legitimately saw a guy who looked good in the first day of, print, of spring ball? Yeah. Um, the first time I said we had four, uh, three, three kids on scholarship. I meant, you know, we had four total QBs out of when right. I missed one, one of those guys. And then, yeah, your buddy Dante and his staff do a great job as I listen to those interviews and stuff and read some of the articles. So they do a great job. So kudos to you, you. Uh, you know, mentoring those guys. Um, I think those comments by 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 Coach Drayton are a little bit of both. And mm. I say this because he since he's been here, he's had the opportunity to to see DeWan in the offseason in the workout, see his leadership skills, see him throw with shorts on, maybe, you know what I mean, or however mm. they're doing it, see him in the you know, those Temple Tough workouts we used to call them and just seeing the guy do some things about football. And then he has a, finally has a chance to see him on the field. It's like, okay, you have – what's your options here? It's like you could be positive, build him up, don't coddle him, which I, I would imagine he's not doing. But that would be my – that's how it seems like to me. It's kind of building him up, giving him a little confidence after practice one, and then, you know, seeing how that – how the hell he handles that that way. Because I'm sure, you know, he hears these – you know, most kids hear these interviews now. They see you guys post them. They see the words that are being said by them, uh, said about them by the staff. So they hear those things. So it's like, you know, you build them up, but you don't call them. But that's kind of what I saw from what I heard from the interview. It's like, hey, let's let's keep the positive with this kid um, and let's see how he handles it. And there's going to be a time where it's like, okay, you know, he's having a good practice, having a good one. He's going to have a bad one soon. It's like, okay, how is he going to handle me saying to him? And whether it's to you and your staff or it's just behind closed doors, How's he going to handle that, you know, adversity? And um, those are the two extremes that you go through as a as a quarterback. And then, you know, again, I've never been a head coach, but you know, I've seen guys do it at a high level. It's like, how do you handle this kid? It's like you can handle them all the same, or you handle them a little differently. And you know what I mean? Just depends. But I, I think he handled it the right way. And you know, maybe the one did knock it out the park at practice, and he commanded, you know, the huddle the right way, and was you know leading the guys and. You know, if, if that's the case, I hope he continues to do that. Mm -hmm. Adam, I mean, this might be kind of like an obvious question. I kind of alluded to it earlier, but is this is this really kind of even before we get to the season? Is this like a, a 
put up or shut up, even though he's might be learning a new offense now, but is this kind of a put up or shut up spring for, for Dewan? Because I think even before we get to preseason camp and the season, um, and again, this isn't rocket science, what I'm about to say, but you know, if Dewan goes out there and has a good spring, you know, maybe Danny Langsdorf and, and Stan Drayton and say, you know what? We feel pretty good about Dewan Mathis heading into to this season. And maybe when we go to the portal, we look for a guy that's going to be more of a, a depth guy because at right. the very least, maybe right now we'll see what Dewan Mathis does for us in 2022. He's either going to be really good or he's right. going to be maybe a bridge guy to get us to EJ Warner, who you ideally probably don't want to play in 2022. He's still a young kid, had a, you know, uh, wasn't, I don't think he was injured last season, but he's had an injury in his, in his career. And I imagine, you know, I've never met Kurt Warner in my life, but I'm sure Danny might actually say to Kurt, Hey, you know, pick his brain as a parent. And I know that goes on sometimes, but I think this is such a big spring for Dewan Mathis, because if he can go out and look good, they might say, okay, okay. Like we said, he can, he can get us into 2022, maybe beyond, but right. if he doesn't take to it and it doesn't work out, and again, he needs tools around him, it's kind of, I see it like a prove it spring for him because, again, he's been at Georgia. He was able to get to that level. Things didn't work out. And then he comes here and, again, you know, previous staff isn't here, but is this kind of one of those situations where, like, if it doesn't work out under this staff, then maybe it's you type of a situation or am I being a bit unfair to him there? Uh, I mean, I don't know necessarily unfair. I mean, you got, you're making some – you know, I think you've hit some good points there um, because at the end of the day, uh, these guys are going to see the one and they're going to make a judgment after this spring and say, okay, can this guy lead us to where we need to be? Can this guy be our championship AAC quarterback or not? And will the spring tell all? No, but it will tell a lot. Um, obviously, again, when you're in the spring, you're playing against your own defense. Someone might be a little further ahead defensively than they are offensively or vice versa on certain days. Guys might not be playing. You might hold guys out. So you ain't getting the full – you know what I mean? The full deal on DeWan, but you're going to see enough. So it's like, okay, after this spring, do we look at the portal for a guy that mm-hmm. can come in and compete right away with, you know, the guys they have in the room now and DeWan, or does he do well enough? Like you said, this spring, it's like, okay, this is our guy. This is the guy we want. You know, maybe we look for a depth guy um, with a few more years left, but I mean, there's a lot of different options and it's going to come down to how does he perform this spring, and again, it's not the – I don't think it's end-all, be-all, but it'll at least, um, you know, have this staff saying to themselves, okay, he's either he, – he can do it or he can't. Um, he's going to lead us to where we need to be. Or, you know, we still have a, a few holdups that won't let us believe that right now. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting uh, to see. I, again, I always go back to when I played, and I know I talk about this a lot, but, like, I stunk in practice. Like, I wasn't a very good practice player. So you guys, you know, again, whether that was because I really stunk or whether that was because, you know, I was playing against some really good players mm. and or, you know, I mean, whatever the circumstances may be, um, I wasn't a good practice player. So, like, if you come out and said, okay, is Adam going to be the quarterback next year? You know, and the deciding factor was this spring ball. I mean, you guys would have been in the portal after, like, practice two after seeing me perform. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. And again, the offensive coordinator and the head coach will have, you know, some time to really evaluate some things and see if they can get him to where he needs to be or where they want him to be and allow him to kind of play freely and use, use those, you know, gifts that, you know, God gave him 
and allow him to continue to get better every day. You, you brought up an interesting point, and I, and I, I'm glad you did because I, I think fans think about this a lot and they ask about this because if you cover a college team, I think you spend time on a college campus. I tell some of the, the young reporters that I've mentored, like in my teaching position here at Temple or even my you know, advising the student media outlets, I'll say to them sometimes, you guys might hear stuff before I do because somebody's got a friend who's got a friend who's got a friend. And they say, hey, man, I heard, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, gosh, like Frank Newtile really stunk it up in practice. You know, my apologies to Frank. I, I love Frank. But like I'm just using this as an example. I can't believe he's starting on Saturday. What what what's going on there? And it's interesting to hear you say that because you downplay a lot like, oh, we weren't good. We weren't good when I was here. But like you did, you guys did help set the stage and you were obviously a very good college quarterback and, and were good enough to get a shot, you know, in training camp with the Eagles. And a lot of guys don't even get that far. Talk me through how, like, why were there days where you just weren't good? You're saying I stunk in practice, but you obviously, again, once you started getting some pieces around you, you had some time to throw, you, you gave this program a lot of great memories. Why does that happen? If some guys just some aren't good in practice sometimes, is it, what, what goes into that where like you may not be good in practice or you're better in games. Like, do the coaches see that and say, okay, yeah, we, we don't like what we saw there, but we know this kid's going to show up on Saturday. Is that, is right. it just, is it an adrenaline thing? What goes into that? I don't know necessarily. I think it's different for each individual kid. Um, some kids, like, I guess for me, right. In practice, everything's scripted, right. Mm-hmm. So say for instance, we're playing a team this year that does a certain field pressure, a field blitz, our defense is going to run this blitz and they know that it's supposed to stop the play that we're going to run. It's like, I won't say that coaches, this is going to sound really goofy. I guess they're not going to put you in a situation to be to fail, right. In practice. It's not, it's not how we do it, but mm-hmm. we script things to kind of work on them, to get right. the film, get the film on them. Right. Sometimes it's like, okay, here comes this field blitz. We have a young quarterback going, he doesn't slide the protection. Next thing you know, the running back gets his head knocked off and the quarterback's on his, on his butt. Um, so there's like times where, you know, you script certain things as a staff and sometimes you script for a success. Like, you know, you want this coverage versus this play because this is the coverage we're going to see. And it's a big touchdown. Your safety gets burned. Now everyone's like, oh, well, this kid can't play. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we scripted this play right. to showcase that. Um, then I would always say like, I would always say like I was a gamer and I know some coaches don't like the word gamer. Mm-hmm. If you don't do it in practice, you're not going to do it in the game. Right. But, you know, I had the same. I did the same thing during practice that I did in the game. You know, it was just a little different. You know what I mean? Like I, I could run around and, you know, the guys I was going against in practice were way better than some of the guys who I was playing against in the games. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a little different for each kid, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, you know, seeing someone in the crowd, whether there's a little bit of anxiety, you know, there's pressure. Um, and some guys, when, it's, when they get out there, it's like, like for me, when I played it, like I didn't necessarily notice anything in the crowd. Like the crowd was never – an issue for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that never, I couldn't hear them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I couldn't see them. Like that was never a big deal for me. I think it just depends on each guy. I mean, everyone goes through something different mentally in their mind. Everyone's thinking about different things. Like, like, I mean, I've seen backs where it's like, Oh my God, I'm going to fumble this ball. I can't fumble this ball. I can't fumble this ball. And that's what they're saying before they mm-hmm. you know, get the handoff. You know, you have receivers that are like, I just dropped my last one. Now, you know, they're ruined for the entire game. Mm-hmm. So it just it's just different for everybody, and it's crazy how many different stories and you know different things I've seen um, when it comes to that. You know, practice 
to game, game to practice. And you, know, you try to make practice just as much as you can as the way the game will be. That's why, you know, we bring crowd noises. You know, I mean, we take practice to different areas to change the scenery. You try to do everything to help our players. And like I said, some guys just react differently to it. And one final thought here before we close this out, I'm glad you brought up, you know, a few minutes ago, you said, you know, there might be a play in practice where like your safety gets beat and then someone's saying like, oh, safety must stink. And then not knowing, oh no, like things were scripted this way. And, you know, I, uh, sometimes fans will say to us, well, you guys should get full access to practice. You only see the last first 15 minutes, last 15 minutes. And yeah, that's strategic to be honest with you. And I'm, I'm a guy that believes in, you know, press access and stuff, but like, yeah, I'm not going to see much in the first 15 minutes, but I, I also tell young reporters, you can't like, you can only draw certain conclusions about what you see in a practice. Like, and I'm very hesitant. I tell, tell young reporters, like just literally write what you see, but don't try to draw so many inferences from it. I'm sure I probably made some mistakes as a young reporter. Like, you know, I, I used to hear coaches say to me like, well, yeah, we told our quarterback to throw in the flat there and see if one of our one of our young athletic linebackers can make the read and pick it off. You you aren't going to see him put that little mustard on the ball in the game. So, you know, you probably shouldn't jump on him and say, oh, that was a duck that so and so threw out there. That stuff happens. Right. Where like mm -hmm. that stuff is designed that way. And it's I, I just wanted to hear you talk about that more because I think it's helpful for the media to know, because sometimes you you think you're seeing something. I mean, sometimes, you know, two guys are going for a 50, 50 ball and the receiver grabs it over the safety. You can be like, yeah, it was a hell of a play. Um, and you can see that somebody's fighting for a ball, but sometimes we don't know what's being scripted until we literally just ask the coach about it after practice. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the tough part. And, you know, Jeff Collins and, and Matt were pretty good at like, we weren't going to show you anybody in the media you know, certain plays or, you know, if we were putting in packages for, say, for instance, P.J. Walker, you know what I mean? His first year as a freshman when he wasn't necessarily the guy, but we were going to play him. You know, when you guys were able to have that availability, we weren't going to show you doing something with P.J. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I mean, we had a, a segment of – we had a segment of a certain coverage, like, you know, or uh, uh, like ones versus twos. You know what I mean? We were running, say, we're playing Georgia Tech. We're running Georgia Tech's coverages in our back end. You know, these are the plays we're running. We're not going to script the plays, you know what I mean, during that time for you guys to come and film or for the media to come and film. So that's why you can use come. There might be like special teams drills or it might be some young guys, very young guys, you'll be able to see some stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's times where you, um, where we, I think Jeff Collins was probably one of the best ones that, hey, you can come during this time and come during that time. We're going to show you what we want to show you and you're going to see what you want to see. But you know, when you go behind the scenes, it's like, okay, we know this happened because of that. You know, this play was made by Billy because, you know, we had our fifth string left guard in. And, you know what I mean, we were trying to see the linebacker fill and see if he can make the play. Yeah, there's a certain time that's not necessarily the, the I can't say it's the best or the worst way to do things, but mm -hmm. you try to see how guys do different things. And, you know, that's what scripting is all about. Like, you have to be ahead. There's no wasted time. We don't have time to, you know, just call plays like we used to and just, you know, just go ahead and wristband it in. Like, this has got to be done nights and days and weeks before, and then you change it as you go. But mm -hmm. no, you're right, man. I mean, we, like I said, it, it's probably tough for you guys. You come out there and you see a guy get beat. It's like, oh, man, you see 
you know, a young Jose Barbon with a 60-yard bomb over. And next thing you know, it's like, yeah, we knew we were getting a one-on-one coverage. We had the corner tell the corner something different to do this. And that Jose, like, there's certain things that are done like that. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. And I guess the best thing you could do, and you guys probably do a good job of, is just ask the question and make them answer it. And kind of, like I said, go from what you wrote down to what you saw to mm-hmm. how they answer it. And that's kind of how, again, I'm no a reporter, John, but that's probably how I do it. I don't know. No, that's the only way you can do it. So good stuff, Adam. I appreciate it. This, this episode was a lot of fun. We will be back with all of you soon with more spring football updates, hopefully some more guests. Thanks again uh, for listening. And again, the best thing you can do to support the podcast is to, to subscribe to it on any of the major platforms we're out there, whether it's Apple, uh, Google, Spotify, give us a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more it elevates the level of the podcast and makes it more visible. So Thank you to all of you for listening. Adam, thanks again for for doing this, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Always, John. Thanks, guys. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.